0: You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Amie Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. I wanted to ask a question for the listeners out there. How many of you have ever had to deal with a coworker or a boss who has said things that have made you doubt yourself and wonder if you're not going maybe a little bit crazy because they're pretty convinced that the real world, air quotes for the viewers, is very different from the one you are seeing or experiencing? I know that this has happened to me. And when it usually does, my spidey senses get triggered pretty quickly. And when this happens, I try to turn on my third person observer scope and sit back so that I can try to figure out if in fact, I'm biased and suffering from a little bit of cognitive dissonance is trying to protect me from this information that I'm getting, um, or if I'm actually being gaslit by the other person. And in personal settings, when we're being gaslit, we have some degree of flexibility in how we can actually handle this. For example, if there are friends or acquaintances, we can call them out or we can ignore it. But if it's your boss or your coworker, then gaslighting can actually have some professional and financial consequences to you, especially if there are issues around your performance. And so I reached out to an expert on gaslighting, best-selling author and therapist, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis, to learn more about how to protect ourselves and to navigate professionally when we are experiencing gaslighting at work. So welcome to the show today, Stephanie. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Now, when I did my um, research on you and, um, you know, I, I got to you because you're the gaslighting pro because you have a book about it. And we'll talk about that later in the in the show here. I found that in your background, you also have a high degree of experience in ADHD. And so I'm curious about how that how the gaslighting and ADHD it worked together or how it became a focus for you.
1: Well, it started with uh, in 2015, especially after Uh, Well, in 2016, especially after January 2017, I started noticing people were getting more knowledgeable of the term gaslighting uh, for various political reasons. (laughs) And and I noticed that when people are coming in and talking about their relationships, they were talking more and more about emotional abuse, including gaslighting, which is the idea that you're with someone that's trying to make you think that you're crazy and therefore, if you're told you're crazy, then you rely on the gaslighter more and more for their version of reality. So you become isolated, which is exactly what the gaslighter wants. So I noticed people talking about that more and more. And I also noticed a trend that people with ADHD and anxiety and depression tended to be in these relationships more so than other people. And it appears that gaslighters, narcissists, sociopaths, you know they prey on people that are vulnerable. I also noticed this with people that were grieving. So for instance, someone that was widowed, uh, the next relationship they were in uh, turned out to be sociopath gaslighter. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but uh, that's what I would see in my practice. So, I, and when I started delving a little bit deeper into it, I found out that there was definitely this pattern of emotional abuse with the uh, the triangulation and love bombing. We can talk more about what that all is. And then that turned into an article I wrote for Psychology a Day, which is 11 warning signs of gaslighting, and that went viral. So so obviously there was something going on in the population that they are really getting in tune with this type of emotional abuse. And since then, it's become an even bigger phenomenon, and people are realizing more now And the Me Too movement, uh, which was which was, has been around a while, but it's uh, it now has come to the forefront, especially now with the news about um, Evan Rachel Wood disclosing her history of uh Gaslighting and abuse, uh, so I think it's something that's really come to the forefront, and I don't think it's a word that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I think more and more people are becoming educated about it, and that this is a form of domestic violence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you said all that. Um, you know, because I, I have always been, you know, on the show, domestic violence has come up quite a bit in that, um, because you know, so many people do uh, just kind of dismiss. Uh, you know words you know sticks and stones may break your bones mm-hmm. and words can never hurt you but we find out that words hurt terribly bad right. and and are manipulative um it's it's interesting because i have had another guest talk about adhd in adult relationships and i hadn't really thought about the that um parent child dynamic that can start up mm-hmm. between uh, you know um, i'm sure you know that more the you know one person feels like they have to be the person in charge of this person with ADHD because they're you know again air quotes here incapable of you know doing anything on their own in that dynamic and
1: i and guess that attitude is a tip off that something's coming down the pike
0: Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that is, so that makes like a natural intersection to me. I can totally Mm -hmm. see how that, that came up. Um, Now, uh, you know, I joke about this. That you know, some of us received our psychology degrees online by just reading a bunch of articles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But seriously, like you said, the term has come up so often and it's used generically, but is there a good definition because I I believe gaslighting comes in lots of forms, um, you know, and so can you help break down what how ga- what gaslighting actually is and, and um, some examples of what gaslighting might be from like on sure. that spectrum?
1: Yeah. Sure. So gaslighting, the term comes from a play and a movie called Gaslight. And that movie was about a man who was trying to make his wife feel like she was going crazy. So he would dim the gaslights in the house and do other things, other nefarious things to make her feel like she was losing her mind. So that's where the term comes from. And it is a form of emotional abuse. And it's where you are, as a victim or survivor, you're being told that what you saw and heard isn't real. Your belongings may be hidden. And then when you can't find them, you're told that you're irresponsible and the gaslighter must need to take over for you because you're not competent. You are told that uh, that various family members and friends have said terrible things about you, which isn't true, but then that isolates you from them, your support system. And that also works in the gaslighter's favor because they want you to have all your attention focused on them. You also can do no right. So in the beginning of the relationship, you have love bombing, which means the relationship starts out really intensely. And you may be asked to move in with somebody uh, like the first, second date, and you're told you know, that how wonderful you are. And that's all stuff that we like to hear, but there's an urgency and an overload to it. And once you get in the relationship, that's when the gaslighter drops that mask. And then you are going from being idealized where you can do no wrong to devalued where you can do no right. And that's where the abuse starts. And it's a slow ramp up. So people ask me, well, how come people stay in these relationships? Well, it starts very slowly. Mm -hmm. It's not like all of a sudden you meet somebody and they physically abuse you. That's not how these relationships work. The way that abusive relationship works or abusive uh, relationship at work, for example, it starts out very, very slowly. You know, it's the, what's the saying It's the frog in the frying pan or frog in the boiling pot or whatever that's saying, yeah. I like can never figure out which one it is, the frying pan or yeah. pot. Both uh, are terrible. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it is. So yeah, I probably should come up with something that doesn't involve like, you know, <laughs> boiling frogs. So, uh, but it's a gradual turning up of abusive behavior. So it starts with maybe making comments about your appearance, things you can't change. Then, may, Then ADHD, you're told, well, you know, I don't like the way that you keep going on and on about stuff. And, you know, you obviously have something wrong with you and your medicine's not helping. And so I need to take over this, that, and the other for you. Uh, it's uh, being um, triangulated, meaning that, again, you have the gaslighter kind of pitting you against family members. And when you say to them, you know, I think I'm going to talk to somebody about how this relationship's going, they'll say stuff like, well, why bother? Because everybody thinks you're crazy anyway. <laughs> Or, you know, who are they going to believe me or you, mm-hmm. you know, because especially if gaslighters have a position of power, they will use that to their advantage and say, well, you know, I am so-and-so. And, you know, a lot of times gaslighters are very active in the community. They're seen as these pillars of goodness uh, and people don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So they will say stuff like, well, you know, with my standing in the community, who's going to believe you? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that happens quite a bit too. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it does escalate into financial abuse or economic abuse where money is withheld from you. Uh, You are uh, forced to turn over your income to the gaslighter. In the case of ADHD, you'll be told that you don't know how to organize money, so they need to do it for you. But it turns into a withholding and also lack of access to your funds. Uh, Also, you're told that uh, that everything's your fault. So these are people that tend to not go to couples therapy or therapy on their own because they tend to have what's called an personality. So what I mean by that is they feel like everyone else has a problem and they don't. When they do go for therapy, it's usually go to couples therapy and they bring the spouse or partner and they will tell the therapist that this person needs to be fixed. So that's what you usually see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other things that they do are uh, pitting your children against you, uh, undermining your parenting, uh, having the children. If, if you are in a co-parenting situation, they will have the the uh, they'll do some parental alienation. So they'll they'll have the kids start calling you by your first name rather than mom or dad. Uh, you also see uh, a lot of uh, again like this possession stuff and we talked about we're going to talk about projection but projection means that these are people that tend to be chronic cheaters because they have this narcissistic void or space that they need to have filled with attention and so when they feel like a narcissistic supply is dwindling for example when your relationship is not in the love bombing phase they will start looking for new narcissistic supply but what they'll do is they'll project which means they'll tell you that they think you're cheating, even though there's been no behavior that you've done that would tip them off to that. And they will demand to look at your phone. Um, They will harass you about it. Because again, the idea is, is that they're blaming you for things they did. And they're also trying to take the focus off of their behavior. So you spend time trying to figure out why they think you're cheating. You go onto Google and read articles about it. When in fact, it's that they're just trying to distract from their own stuff. If you do confront the gaslighter, there's hell to pay. They will flip it around on you, tell you that you're being too sensitive. And they will also stonewall you, which means they act like you don't exist. You'll be in a room with them and they will just kind of, it's like you're invisible. And that's a form of punishment. It's an abusive form of punishment.
0: hmm
1: yeah. Punishment in quotes.
0: Yeah. Man, I, um, I've said this before on other shows and, um, for anybody that's new here listening, uh, I get triggered when I do these episodes just because, especially when you start rattling off all the things that are related to, Mm -hmm. um, relational abuse and stuff. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, (sighs) the sucking sound from my chest, but it's, um, uh, it's important to know, um, and so then I guess the you, and you answered the projection. So let's let's talk about about this. Mm-hmm. Do only the extremely malignant narcissists use gaslighting as a technique, or? Or can it be something like a like a survival go to switch mechanism that a person might resort to gaslighting as like as a defense protection for them when they may be feeling triggered or attacked? And the reason why I ask is because I think, again, about professional experiences and also dealing with abusive relationships. Sometimes the abusers at home don't show up as abusers at work. They show up as an entirely different person who behaves differently differently. Um, and vice versa, I think sometimes when people are a little bit more abusive at work, they might be a totally different person at home. And so then I'm trying to sort out, again, in a professional setting, when I experience or see or somebody's telling me that, hey, you know, my supervisor is telling me that nobody likes me at work. And I don't feel like that's actually the case. Um, does that person have reason to believe that their supervisor is a malignant narcissist or just, you know, maybe it's just a he that person felt really? triggered that day and now just is taking it out on everybody around him. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, First, I think we need to look at the spectrum of of influence and manipulation and gaslighting. So if you look at advertising, that's influence, that's you know, marketing stuff that's trying to get you to buy into the idea that your life will be better if you have this product. So we exist in a world where that is used to draw people in. Then we have manipulation, which is a direct trying to take control over something. Then we have gaslighting, which is manipulation, but on a a consistent basis, the purpose is to isolate and control. And yeah, it can be a really tricky question. What is somebody having a bad day and what's gaslighting? Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of it is behind the intent. Is the intent to isolate you? Is it to punish you? Uh, because people have, a, you know, as, as um, you know, Dr. House said on the show House, everybody lies, right? So we have white <laughs> lies, then we have the manipulation lies on the other end of the spectrum. So what's the purpose? What's the utility of what they're doing? Is it to isolate you at work so that you have no contacts and you have no uh, backup or support on a project? Is it to make sure that you are left alone in the office so that person has access to you? Is it that the person kind of whispers really derogatory stuff to you under their breath and no one else can hear? So when you address it, you're told that you're crazy. It never happens. So there's usually a pattern of behavior. But according to the definition, legal definition of harassment, I'm not an attorney, but as a therapist, um, the definition of harassment is it doesn't matter how many times it happens. If it happens once, it's harassment. Mm-hmm. So I really encourage people to look at um, the EEOC.gov. So it's the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has a definition of harassment, and that includes behaviors like gaslighting, like emotional abuse. Now, whether people realize they're doing it or not, there's kind of two different kinds of gaslighters. There's a gaslighter that grew up maybe with gaslighting narcissistic parents, and they learned that this is how you do relationships, because we learn, we watch our parents like a hawk or caregivers and we look and see what are they doing in a relationship? How, how does that work in life? And then people get into relationships or in the workplace and this behavior is no longer working for them. It worked really well as a survival mechanism when they were growing up but not so much anymore. Those are people that may realize that they're having gaslighting behaviors and they may seek out help through counseling. Now, the other side of that are people that have like narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, I'm commonly known as sociopaths. And with that, there's that egocentric thing, again, that, that you're fine, everyone else is crazy. And so again, those people are less likely to go for counseling. And then there's another subsection of that where people are doing this completely intentionally. hmm The main goal is power and control. Now, it doesn't really matter what the origin is because it's still abusive behavior and that person still um, needs to 100% own that, but the origins of it may differ. And again, someone that has learned this behavior from childhood and realizes that they're having this behavior has a better shot at getting treatment and recovering from it than someone that doesn't even identify that it's an issue Mm. or does it on purpose and has no desire to change. Mm
0: -hmm. You, when you uh, brought up the harassment term, I mean, to be honest, as you, as as I was preparing for this uh, talk with you, I didn't even really consider that. You know why? Because I think it happens so often in work that we hear things said by other people that it's, we accept it as commonplace. Right. We we might all accept that it's crappy behavior and we don't want it to happen, but yet we don't think about it in terms of like, there's a legal standing and a protection mechanism that may be there for somebody. Right. Um, That kind of goes into this next question then, because Mm -hmm. when I have experienced or seen and seen this happen, you know, a tendency is, is we're being told something that we know is not true. And so then, um, you know, old me, my knee jerk reaction was I'd become like a defense attorney and I'd start pulling out Mm -hmm. all the emails and all the evidence, you know, and trying to like win the case against this person. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And then, and you find that um, that doesn't always work. Like it doesn't even matter how much evidence stacks of it you have there. That gaslighter is not changing their mind. Like they're set
1: in their way. They'll double down on it, yeah. Yeah, they
0: Mm -hmm. will. And I've talked about that on other topics too, of like, um, you know, kind of where we go with that. So, so I I try to fact check myself before I arrive at a conclusion of whether or not I'm being gaslit or not, or Mm -hmm. or is this person actually making a genuine, you know, critique um, that's valid there. Um, But if we're talking about trying to um, protect ourselves from harassment at work, Mm -hmm. are there other ways or strategies that we can handle this that um, that helps us? maybe if we have to take it to the kind of the HR Mm -hmm. department and make a formal harassment complaint, like how does it, uh, how do we avoid the, he said, she said, she said, she said, you know, back and forth, you know what I mean?
1: Right. So first know what your company's grievance process is for harassment. So read your employee manual. If your employer does not have something like that in place, again, go to EEOC, look up their definition of harassment. There are some companies that, that are uh, exempt, so I think it depends on the number of employees, something like that. So you want to look at um, you know, what was said, what day it was said and get direct quotes and document it. And you want to not document it in an employer-owned device because if you are fired or if you leave, you gotta leave those devices behind. So make sure that if you're documenting, you're doing it in some kind of encrypted format on your own device. That's really important. Again, that dates, times, and direct quotes as much as possible. So then when you go through the grievance process, I would also recommend consulting with a labor attorney uh, just to see what your rights are in the workplace and if this does meet the definition of harassment. Uh, and then again, go see your employer's you know, grievance process, see what they need, because usually if you're going to file with uh, EEOC, there's some steps that need to be taken place first. Uh, so again, go to your uh, HR department, see what their process is, uh, bring your evidence. And again, you have the, the what you're saying of, you know, the gaslighter says something about you and you arm yourself with all this stuff to defend yourself. That's a very normal reaction, but these are not people that react normally. Right. So, you know, first, I think someone said something like they alluded to this to Trump. It's like, well, um you know, you'll say, no, that didn't happen. And they'll say, well, yeah, it did. And then you provide proof and they'll say, well, you know, that was doctored. Or then <laughs> then that the proof's doctored. Then they'll say, well, you know, you misunderstood what I said. And then eventually it was, well, you're too dumb to figure out, you know, what I was really saying, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So what, yeah, like, so whatever evidence you present, is not good enough. But if you get someone else involved like EEOC or HR, there's one step removed from the process. Mm-hmm. So there is someone that's more likely to listen to you, especially if it's, if it gets accepted by EEOC and then starts going up, you know, through the, the chain of, um, process of harassment complaints.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but usually EEOC says you have to follow your workplaces, harassment reporting procedures, but again, not every company has those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's something to look at too.
0: Well, and the other thing I think about too is um you know even in my own se- my own sense of self is man, I don't mm-hmm. want to be a troublemaker,
1: you know. And and I think that that's really <laughs> common that that we go, well, we want to be nice. And and it reminds me of uh you know studies have done on people that were in situations where they felt that they were being threatened and they were less likely to leave because they didn't want to look rude. Like, for instance, you're on a date and the person says some stuff and you're like, this is not okay. And you get the, the spidey sense. People were more likely to stay in that situation because they didn't want to appear rude than get up and leave. And I think that, again, is part of human nature. We don't like kind of making waves. So, but when you have the EOC site up and you see, wait a second, this meets the definition, even though you're told that it's not. Uh, by various people you talk to because they may be trying to protect the company or it's the gasler themselves. Uh, when you read that, you realize that you are not the only one. I have a whole chapter in my gaslighting book about what to do in those cases where you're being harassed at work. And again, harassment doesn't even mean it's directly towards you. It could be that you heard somebody say something really inappropriate. And as a as a person that's a bystander, you have a right to file a complaint. Mm-hmm. So again, and I recommend, again, going to an attorney and seeing what your rights are. Now, now the issue with gas in the workplace is a lot of them will do things that fly just under the radar. So you can report them, but it doesn't meet the definition of harassment. And companies will not always take this seriously. They'll do like a little slap on the wrist or something, but they won't really sanction the person. So a lot of times people have had to just leave their jobs, which is really not fair because it makes life more difficult for you. But you have to look at also what's the emotional cost and the physical toll working in this place is taking on you. Mm -hmm. How is it impacting your family and your friends? And you'll notice that even though you have to leave your job because of this, your health improves when you leave that position. So again, sometimes it comes down to that, that you have to leave your job. And again, that's completely not fair. But again, these people can be masters of just flying under the radar and looking great to everybody else.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is definitely frustrating and and Mm -hmm. totally. I mean, I, yeah, feeling that place of where you're like, you just hate your work because of, you know, what people Mm -hmm. are doing or saying or behaving. Um, Is there a way for somebody to to kind of validate. Um, like I said, I pull out, I look for evidence, but you know, like, well, you know, I felt mm-hmm. like I sent these emails. I know one thing that I would do is, um, and I learned this because of being gaslit by mm-hmm. in a personal relationship where the telling was, is, well, you know, actually nobody really likes you, you know, uh, right, you, ever, right. you know, I you know, got that a lot. Well, nobody actually mm-hmm. likes you. I have to stick up for you all the time. So I, like, people
1: just act like they like you. They don't really, yeah. Right. They don't really a, like
0: you. Yeah. Right. So when I hear comments or I hear people make comments like that to somebody else, you know, for me, I'm just like, well, I'm going to go see if that's actually true. You know, um, mm-hmm. but are there ways in which a person can validate um, or do pass through the comments through a filter of saying, is this really a, a, a malignant behavior that I'm experiencing mm-hmm. and actions I'm hearing from this person, whether it's a coworker or a supervisor Or is there a sensitivity test for myself to just make sure that maybe there isn't an over response from on my part? You know, I can I feel like I always Mm -hmm. have to have these scales between the two. Um, But when people have been in abusive situations, I feel like I'm more like I'm really on the scales because I, you know, I don't Mm want to be in another abusive situation. But I also know that my abuse history makes me, you know, flare up a little bit faster Mm -hmm. there. Um, And so, you know, suggestions and strategies. How do you know if you're really being gaslit or how do you know if it's really critique and it's not, you know, is there like some self-checks?
1: Well, one thing that I'd say that, that also ties into how do you protect yourself at work is make sure you get everything in writing. So if your boss comes by and says, can you work on this project? Just say, can you shoot that to me in email? So, and we talk about ADHD too, that makes sure that you have a paper trail. And also if your boss comes out to you and says, no, I didn't ask you to work on that project. I asked you to work on something else. Cause that's a classic with gas layers. They'll switch things up on you. You can go, nope, here's the email. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is keeping documentation, keeping a paper trail and yeah, being aware of your history and your triggers is really important and therapy can help tremendously with that. Uh, particularly a cognitive behavioral therapy has been found to be quite helpful. Um, and also uh, acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy. If you've been through trauma, like an abusive relationship, and the more that you realize what your triggers are, the, the better you're also able to identify when you're being treated inappropriately. And if someone says to you, well, no one likes you anyway, that's inappropriate no matter where it comes from <laughs> right. uh, or, you know, the classic, well, you know, they felt that the, the, the but you know, I think that, you know, I don't know if I totally agree with them, but they said this about you. You know, that again is inappropriate because it's those people's responsibility to tell you that something bothered them. Mm-hmm. That's not your problem. Yeah, you know, what I usually say is what other people think about you is none of your business. Right. Mm-hmm. So if someone's acting as like the messenger of some horrible stuff, somebody said about you, I would just assume that it's not true because unless you hear it from that source, you really don't know. And you always have, you know, people that may not be narcissists, but they're drama stirrers at work and they love to see, you know, drama happen. And so they will, again, pit people against each other. So really take into account when someone's giving you third-hand information that that is probably not accurate. Mm -hmm. Because what they also want you to do is go to the source and say, how could you say that about me? And, you know, of course, the source says, I never said that, but then you're upset. So if you have someone transmit information to you, go, you know, okay, first, I'm not sure if this person actually said this because did they come up to me and say this? No. Mm-hmm. Is it worth talking to this person or ca- can I be reasonably assured that they didn't say that? And usually, most of the time, I can be reasonably assured they didn't say that. But it's really important to listen to your gut instinct, too, your intuition. Mm-hmm. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's not so much as did this person, is a narcissist or a gaslighter. It's more that are they treating me in a respectable, respectful, and kind manner. If they're not, then some stuff needs to change. So it's not even if they have a diagnosis or they, you know, are they on the malignant end is just, are they treating me with respect? And the other thing is that just because you treat someone with respect doesn't mean you're going to get it back. And again, it's, I think for people, especially if we talk about ADHD and depression, anxiety, you know, it's, people are more vulnerable. Uh, and so, I think that if you expect someone to treat you exactly the same way, it can be a real letdown when they don't. Uh, So it's important to look at that and say, is it just that they didn't meet what I wanted them to meet or do they do something malicious? Now there's malicious and there's also ignorant and both of them are not good. So you still have the right to say, hey, what you said hurt me and what the reaction is to that will tell you everything you need to know. If it's a healthy person, you say, hey, that thing you said hurt me, the person usually says, I'm sorry, I didn't realize, you know, I, I'll make sure that I don't bring that up again. And that's it. But if the person has gasoline tendencies, manipulative tendencies, they'll put it back on you or you didn't see that or you didn't hear that or what are you talking about? You're crazy. You'll see a lot of the defense strategies thrown at you, including and also and this this kind of sets the gaslighting stuff apart is they will completely flip it around to something that you did. Mm mm-hmm. And that's a tip the, off. So, yeah, yeah, yeah look at market. the reaction when you confront them. Hmm? Yeah,
0: yeah. I was going to say that's the trigger part right there. Like, yep, yeah, nope. The, the turnaround in the conversation of, mm-hmm. well, but you did well, this. If you, yeah,
1: right. <laughs> well, if you didn't, da, 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 and yeah. they never apologize. Gaslighters narcissists never apologize. No, if they, they don't. do, it's, it's in a snarky kind of, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, basically, inappropriate behavior towards you is inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And again, when you talk to that person and say, Hey, what you did hurt my feelings, you'll, the reaction again is all you need to know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you brought up the thing about the uh, paper trail in the writing and that, uh, mm-hmm. that actually resonated with me too. Um, and, and connecting it to, cause I had not made that connection directly. Um, when somebody, you know, I, I have years of project management experience behind me. I love Mm -hmm. everything in writing, you know, uh, it comes Mm -hmm. from engineering and learning how to cover your ass, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all got to be documented so that you can go back. That's why I'm a defense lawyer when it comes to issues. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did notice, you know, that I have ran into people that every time you try to get them to commit something to writing, it, they just refuse and just won't do it. And I've heard mm-hmm. also, and I want to share this just for people that may, like, this might be language that they'll hear before of like, I shouldn't have to, you need to put it down or why should I tell you how to do this? this it's your job to figure this out. You know, this kind of right. reluctance to ever really want to document and to have something to go back to and it mm-hmm. being dismissed again as something that y- you should do or it's unnecessary because you should be more competent at what you do or more experienced or whatever other words that they might want to use. Does that sound like a familiar? That's what
1: you document. I asked so-and-so and and this is particularly an issue with coworkers. You know, I asked so-and-so to please put that in writing. And if they refuse to, then you write down so-and-so refused to put this in writing. And then you send out an email saying uh, per, you know, your comment of not being able to write this down. I'm reiterating what I said, and please, by the end of the day, or please the next couple hours, if you could tell me, you know, if you could verify this is what we talked about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So then again, you're setting up kind of a double paper trail. You're you're putting in your journal, this is what was said on this date, and then you also have the email being sent to them, and you're giving them a time frame saying, please let me, know, make it a reasonable time frame, not like in the next five minutes, but, you know, by the end of the workday, please verify that this is what we discussed. Now, if you have accommodations, like if you have ADHD, anxiety, depression in the workplace, having things written down may be one of your accommodations. So you wanna check that too, if you're covered under Americans with Disabilities Act in the workplace. And that's a whole another thing to talk about. But uh, so you may be entitled to having things written down and that may be actually a violation of your rights um, as someone with a disability to not have it written down. So that's, that gets into more, you know, that's where I would consult the an attorney that specializes in ADA. Uh, But again, you know, document that someone refused to put that in writing. I also want to add too, before we forget, is that make sure that you're never alone with the gaslighter at the workplace. Because they will try to sometimes get you alone, make sure that you're the only one working after hours. They'll say, yeah, a group of people, you know, the team's working after hours and you show up, you're the only one there or everyone's sent home and you didn't know that. And all of a sudden you come out of your cubicle and the place is empty. So you wanna make sure that you're never left alone with a gaslighter because you will not have a witness present. And if the gaslighter does wanna to talk to you, have a witness present. And again, sometimes the boss will say, well, you don't need a witness. Why, you know, I'm not allowing that. You can say, no, I think it's best for everybody. You know, they can just, you know, transcribe everything. And if they refuse to have someone present again, then you have to look at, you know, document, And then go to HR, but you really want to avoid being alone with these people because they will completely flip that around on you.
0: Mm -hmm. The siloing, uh, Mm -hmm. familiar, unfortunately, with that aspect of it, too. Mm -hmm. Now, you bring it up. I mean, again, I sit there and I think about when the person has power influence over you Mm -hmm. and your organization and their gaslighter. you know, we've talked about kind of the protection mechanisms and stuff like that. And, and mm-hmm. as you said, sometimes you just have to make the decision. Is this r- the right environment for me, especially right. if there isn't anything going on to address the gaslighters behaviors and mm-hmm. actions? So let me ask you this question here. Um, what happens if you are the HR team and you see conflict within your organization and that you've got a perpetrator, a gaslighter in the company? You
1: mm-hmm. know, is
0: there things in the professional setting that can be done to, uh to, I know you can't send somebody to therapy that doesn't want to go and expect them to, to get anything out of it, but are there protections for somebody who doesn't want to see an employee being abused Mm-hmm. um, with, uh, a person maybe that has such a position in a company that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. You know, how do you bridge the, the disconnect between the two so that you don't have your
1: workforce leaving in mass? Right. Um, you know what I mean? Right. There's, there's a piece that's labor law, which I can't answer to because I'm an attorney, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm not an attorney. I think I just yeah. said was an attorney. I'm not, yeah. definitely not an attorney. <laughs> um, and then there's a piece I can answer as a therapist, which is we need to have zero tolerance for harassment. Zero. Uh, and that means that you know the board of directors has to be on board with not tolerating this at any level in the company. And when you have shareholders, you have to think about too. You know, sometimes you have to put it in terms of bottom line, which is your shareholders not going to be happy. Your your business is going to lose money, and you know, you can get some lawsuits against you. So sometimes that's the that's the the thing that works is that this is going to impact your bottom line. And these types of people will burn your company down to the ground rather than just walk away from their job, that you are on the hook. And again, this would be something in labor law, but but you're on the hook for somebody's harassing behavior. And do you want that to be your company culture? Because that becomes your company culture really quickly. That spreads like wildfire. And also in the age of social media, that information will go around the world in about two seconds.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: again, we have the Me Too movement. People are becoming much more aware of how prevalent this is. I mean, I remember talking to a group of women we were all saying that we didn't know anybody that hadn't been sexually harassed in the workplace. We you know, I think there was one somebody said, "Well, I think I have a friend that was never harassed. I'm going to ask her." I mean, it's out of a big group. So, you know, this is so prevalent. And so we really need to look at are we protecting the employees? Because again, you're liable as a company if you have someone that's doing this behavior. And again, you you will get, you know, we talk about getting canceled. Your company will get canceled. You will lose um, you know, support from people, and we really need to look at you know if if just the common decency thing isn't isn't enough, which it should be, then we need re- to really look at this is going to affect companies and whether they even exist. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. if they're going to go through so many lawsuits or settlements or whatever it is. So, um, if, and I think that means that we need to speak up for people that um, that are being bullied that they're vulnerable to someone that's uh, harassing them or treating them inappropriately is that, that we have an obligation to speak up Mm
0: -hmm. and do something. I think that's
1: right. Yeah. And I think, again, that comes into company culture too. Is it a culture where you are, you are encouraged to discuss things and things are done about that. Do you have a solid code about harassment and bullying in the workplace? Or do you just say, Hey, if you're being harassed, go to HR. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's really important that this is a top-down thing that from the board of directors on down, there needs to be an understanding that this is not tolerated.
0: Yeah. And you you use the word bullying and it, it's the right word, you know, for this. Um, it's in, in my brain, you know, my little gears are turning in my head. Mm-hmm. And I think about, um, you know, how do you, you know, how do how do you, how do you make it safe to bring it up? Because I think I go back Mm -hmm. to safety, right? Like we don't know everybody's histories personally. Um, We don't know what their levels of safety and comfort, you know, are at being Mm -hmm. able to make things like this, you know, bring this awareness up there. And, um, and the, when it comes to bullying in business, you know, there is, I'm just a tough business manager. I'm just a tough leader. I'm just a tough Mm -hmm. supervisor that it's not bullying um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm allowed as well to be my, my true self, which just happens to be an asshole at times. Right,
1: right, right. Um, so How do we I, embrace ever the rainbow of personalities?
0: <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, uh, and, and draw that, you know, cause I can think of people that I ran into that if you accuse them of being a bully, they'd be very defensive about that. Or they own it. Yeah. Or That's they own the it
1: too. Yeah. Right. Yeah you are like, sure. But, you know, I'm just telling people what they need to do. And if they don't listen, that's their problem. I mean, right. that's kind of the attitude sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and they um, and the culture, you know, I've seen it also a conflict of culture where it is we want to be this type of an organization, but we're definitely mm-hmm. at the top end of this group, not modeling all of that, because we mm-hmm. are exhibiting things that are bullying in nature and uh, conversations just hit my mic if anybody heard that, um, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that are punishing and derogatory and um, uh, you know just negate the humanity of, a, of another person mm-hmm. which I you know just kind of sucks. Um, I, if we're, if we're in this it sounds like when I asked the question there the really the HR team has to decide or in your opinion here um, as not a lawyer um, mm-hmm. is that when we have people that, are chronic gaslighters in this way uh, that there really isn't going to be much like where there's no there's there's no change for them like you know I mean do we throw them into a leadership training boot camp and show them how to not do it or is it a better a, does it seem to be better that um, in your experience professionally that the satisfaction and the results are just not going to be there with that person like that's a hard thing to change right. out of somebody
1: we need to start from the actual hiring process. Which is, we really need to know how this person performed in previous jobs. And I think the rule was, you know, previously in past years that you would just disclose what you know times the person worked at the previous job, and you didn't say anything about the performance. I think that's changing now, especially after there have been some lawsuits. Uh, especially after, um, so I, I live in the Tampa Bay area, and there was a, a case in Tampa of a, a work shooting, and the the company that did not disclose or did not ask about the person's history at the previous company, which included aggressive behavior, uh, that company was sued and I believe they settled uh, with the families. So uh, so there may be a piece, again, this is the, the attorney piece, again, not attorney, <laughs> nor do I play one on TV, um, that, uh, that you may be liable if you don't find out about what this person's previous his- history was. Then you have to look at, too, if you're the company being asked, what was this person like? do you have an obligation against the legal part? Do you have an obligation to inform them the person was fired because of potential bullying or violent behavior or stalking behaviors? So there's a question that, again, I would refer to people's in-house counsel or again, labor attorney to find out what the rights are with that. But we need to start from the hiring process on to make sure that someone that is hired that fits the company culture, if you have a healthy company culture. Mm -hmm. So The other piece of that is make sure you have a healthy company culture, and there's a whole field of psychology called industrial organizational psychology, and you can hire a psychologist to consult with you and look at your business 100% and look at what policies do you have in place about harassment, what policies you have in place about bullying? Do you have a company culture where people can openly speak about something, and is something done about it? You know, like it's great to have a suggestion box or a comment box, but if you're not doing anything about it, what good is it? So, and then also industrial organizational psychologists can also tell you you what education needs to happen in your workplace. And it needs to be continual education, not just, you know, you get hired and you watch a video on what, you know, harassment is. There needs to be continuous uh, kind of in-service days. Like you think of school, you know, teachers have in-service days. There need to be in-service days where you talk about what's acceptable behavior and what's not. And, yeah. and we we have to do that. We can't just assume that someone's going to behave appropriately. Now, sometimes people will just ace through interviews and they'll just look great because, again, they're able to put on that kind of human suit, if I call it. I don't know if you watch Good Place, but they have the demons that wear human suits in Good Place. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so you, they, wear, they wear their human suit and they look like they're totally fine. But then once they're given like the keys to of power, then then that starts, you know, kind of fading away and the inner narcissist comes out, but we need to be really good at pinpointing what are the signs that someone might be headed in that direction if they're hired at mm-hmm. the company. Um, there are various questions you can ask. Um, and again, you have to make sure that these are legal questions, um, but things like, tell me why you left your last job. If you have someone that tells you stuff that blames everybody, except they don't talk about their own experience, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if they say, well, my boss did this, my boss did that, there's a way to appropriately say, I didn't agree with some things that were happening, or, you know, I filed a complaint, this person was asking me. There's difference between that and then something the person did, and they start blaming everybody else for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I was the director of recruiting at a company for mm-hmm. a period and, and used psychometrics. And also that kind of growth minded questions and accountability questions and stuff like that, because you're right. Uh, the person who comes in and, you know, has been perfect their entire career and it's just been everybody else has been the problem is like.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh... Well, let's <laughs> speak a little bit about psychometrics, too, because that's tricky. So psychometrics um, and, and what we're referring to as psychometrics is the you know assessment tests and personality tests. People that are trying to put up a really good front can fool those tests. Mm-hmm. So I wrote an article for Forbes that said, you know, uh, if you take the MB- MBTI, Myers-Briggs for work, it just means you really like taking tests. <laughs> <You> know, <that's, laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that what it tells you is accurate. So I think we really need to be careful that if we rely on psychometrics only, which I know that companies usually don't do that. They have a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. But those are not always an accurate view. I think that the big five tests, which talk about um, agreeableness and- I forget what the other four are. Conscientiousness Thank extubation. you. Yeah, I know you would yeah. know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that one's been found to be, uh, I think, a research pretty valid test. But again, you have people that are going to answer that the way they think it needs to be answered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, gaming it. <laughs> right, right. And there and there are some tests that do have uh, ways to determine through the answers if someone is possibly being inconsistent with their answers. Uh, but you will have people that, you know, will look really good on paper. Mm-hmm. And again, that's where we really need to look at what were the circumstances where they worked before. Uh, it, there are little tells. So it, you have to look at also when they arrive for an interview, what is their behavior? How do they treat the front reception person?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That tells you a lot. How do they treat people where they feel like they have nothing to gain by being nice to that person? And you'll see that people like, I, I think of like when people go to restaurants, you know, in the before time when we used to go to restaurants, more often. So uh, what is that? All. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The before time. Yeah. Um, look at how the person treats wait staff or servers. They will usually treat them poorly because they feel like they don't really have anything to gain from being nice to them. Mm-hmm. That's the mindset. So you need to look at how do they treat other people starting from the time they walk in the door to when they go through the interview process. And if anybody in the team that's doing the interview gets any kind of sense that this is not okay, that needs to be listened to. Mm -hmm. And the person needs to not be told, well, you know, I don't know, I think they're still pretty good because they can do this, this, and this for us. No, someone says, there's something going on with this person that I don't think they're a good fit. We really need to listen. Because nine times out of 10 or 9.9 times out of 10, that person is not gonna be a good fit. And again, that's something that comes from the board of directors on down, What is tolerable behavior and what's not tolerable behavior? And that needs to be very clearly defined. And if there's somebody on the board of directors that is exhibiting bullying or gaslighting behavior, then that person is no longer on the board of directors. I mean, that's that's the point we have to get to where, you know, again, it's from the top down that this idea of people are going to be treated with kindness and respect needs to be adhered to. And saying to somebody, hey, I don't always agree with this point, that's not harassment. So, you know, I think it's also important to let people know, too, in these kind of in-service trainings, saying your opinion on something isn't harassment. If you just say, hey, I disagree with this and this is why, that's not harassment. That's having open dialogue. Uh, but and I think we all kind of know what harassment is when we see it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we also need to say, too, that, you know, this is, this is how you say something. You know, if you don't agree with somebody, you can, agree, you can not agree with somebody and still treat them with kindness and respect. And that's where you get into the person saying, well, this is just my personality. I'm just an asshole, you know, kind of thing <laughs> that, um, that no, that's not acceptable. You can, you know, it takes such little effort to be kind. It really does. It's very little effort. So, you know, you can say your opinion without being a jerk, you know, and that and, uh, we need, really need to hold people accountable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, several comments that, you know, came through my mind that, you know, we might hear or people might hear at work is um, you know, the, the kind of the underhanded threats to your job, you know, Mm -hmm. why do I have you around if I could get it from somebody else, you know, in order to kind of stir up behavior to, you know, get you to kind of step up or whatever.
1: Um, the the, inappropriate motivation.
0: Yeah. Right. Inappropriate motivation and and through
1: fear. Mm
0: -hmm. And so that makes me, you know, as I'm, you know, kind of, uh, reflecting on this conversation and I'm thinking about like, what are the takeaways for listeners and people working Mm -hmm. in organizations is to think about, you know uh and exercising and understanding like do you have a defined anti-harassment bullying gaslighting Mm -hmm. policy like do you have you had a conscious conversation about how it looks what are the words that are used how is it used you know as a air quote motivational tool or punishing Mm -hmm. tool you know in management and supervisors um uh, is this going to be something that we're going to allow everybody to do? And because sometimes mm-hmm. the businesses have difficulties that they've never really kind of codified it yet, so right. then it, it's too gray to in, start to enforce. Right. But you have to kind of come in and say, "We're this is something that is important. It does uh, affect the well being of the employees and the relationships that we have with one another, our performance mm-hmm. as a company. So we should take some time to." Put some arms around it, put a container around this topic mm-hmm. and understand what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, and what are we going to do when we hear it or see anybody in the company, you know, kind of violating right. that. Um, and I think that this is what we're talking about is something that doesn't specifically get addressed, it kind of gets tolerated. Mm-hmm. Spoken to, bitched about around the water cooler, complained, right. you know, I mean, whatever it is. But nobody ever feels like that there's anything they can actually do about it because you go to HR and they're like, I.
1: Right. And that's where an industrial organizational psychologist comes in, where they can actually help you formulate a policy of, of anti bullying and anti harassment. Mm-hmm. And because HR needs to be able to do their job of monitoring this because if your employee manual says if you feel like you're being harassed go to HR and HR goes well we don't really have procedures for that that company's probably liable for for not having that you know so again you need to look at the fact that you may be opening yourself up to legal liability and again not an attorney (laughs) but (laughs) but, you know maybe. but I have worked with companies that you know you look at their policies and I'm like yeah uh, your policy isn't really a policy it doesn't really have anything behind it as to what the procedures are for if this does happen you know, it's good to say, hey, we're a, a workplace that doesn't tolerate harassment and bullying, but what are the teeth behind that? Mm-hmm. Right. Are you yeah. going to enforce that? How, what's the policy for someone reporting it? Mm-hmm. Have you had incidents in the past where someone said they reported it, nothing was done? And that's where you have to possibly do an overhaul of that whole system as to you know, what's your employee turnover rate? And if it's high, why? Could it be that you don't have a culture of belonging? and respect and kindness towards people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also reflected in, in how, how your employees are paid and how, and, you know, how they're treated. You know, there's these little, there's microaggressions, And we think about that mostly with, with racism. Um, you know, there's little things that like, they're like little mosquito bites, but they add up over time. And I think that's the stuff you talk about over the cooler, right? Is that, you know, this person said this, this person said that, and it's the building up, you know, just like we talk about relationships, there's a building up of these microaggressions, and and I think that's another thing that needs to be addressed too. Is that what do you do when it's a problem behavior? It may not meet the definition of harassment, but you still shouldn't tolerate it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, again, people that fly under the radar. Why are they flying under the radar? Are the policies not tough enough?
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and the inertia. I mean, this is like one of those things. Like we could mm-hmm. have a beer and talk about this for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but the. <laughs> You know, I actually was writing about this this morning that, you know, sometimes people benefit from the inequities that exist in businesses. Oh,
1: absolutely. Um, So they don't want to
0: change it because it still works in their favor, you know?
1: Right, right. (laughs) And I think that's when we get into, too, do we have diversity in the company? Do we have diversity at the board of directors level? Do we have representation? Uh, Because, yeah, for, for, you know, people that have entitlement, you know, why change stuff? Because things are working great for them. You know, but I think for a lot of companies, you know, if they're not doing it out of just human decency, you really need to look at what's your liability or bottom line. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yep. You know, again, it should just be that you're going to do this because you're, you're a decent company. Um, And there are companies that are decent, but you got to look at, you know, if that doesn't work, then you got to do the practical, then you, then you consult an attorney and go, you know, hey, what's our liability for this? But again, it's a board of directors on down. If you get somebody in the board of directors that's known, you know, as a, a harasser, like I think like Harvey Weinstein, you know, <laughs> if they are being kept on the board, what does that say to everyone else in the company? It says that they're not listened to. It says that you're tolerating that behavior. So you really need to look at that because shareholders can turn on you. And so that's the other thing to look at too is that uh, you, know, you really need to look at. Again, if it's not out just common human decency and and human rights that you're going to start working on this, you need to look at, you may be liable and this may start costing you a lot of money. So really important to look at that. Mm -hmm. And if you're working for a company like that, can you speak up? Is something done about it? Are you listened to? Not only do you speak up, but are you listened to?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I agree too. Those are two different things. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You get to safely walk in the office and file your complaint, but Mm -hmm. there's no traction or anything, you know, happens with it. after. And then
1: you're known as a troublemaker. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't report is because they don't want to be seen as the person that, you know, reported. And then they're seen as, you know, whistleblower or, you know, because whistleblowers are good. I'm not saying that. But, you know, they're they're called that in the workplace or they're called a troublemaker because Mm -hmm. there was there was no follow up done. And that's really damaging to a person. And I think if you have a past history of harassment or trauma abuse, um, that can really trigger PTSD symptoms. Mm-hmm. When you report bullying and you are not taken seriously, it really brings up that past history of you experiencing that in a relationship or in another workplace. And, and that's why I also recommend you, if this is happening to you, seek some counseling because I think therapy is really helpful for getting through that if it is triggering PTSD. Mm -hmm. Because it's very difficult to work to your potential when you're having flashbacks and you're, and that's being triggered by what you're going through. So I really recommend talking to someone. I think anyway, has gone through trauma. I think therapy can be helpful.
0: Yeah, no, amen to that. Um, Because that's definitely, uh, you know, even the, you know, even if you feel like you're robust and you've got it all behind you and you've been working through it, it doesn't take Mm -hmm. much with the right combination of words from somebody Mm -hmm. in the context to just amp it up and trigger you all over again, especially through abuse for sure.
1: And maybe we should talk about what that means for triggers. Cause I know we use that word a lot, but triggers are, there's something that happens. Somebody says something and you go back to your abuse. Like you can have flashbacks where you go back to that time and place with that person, the previous person that did this behavior. And you can have uh, kind of this explosion of feelings, whether that's uh, terror, whether it's anger uh, and it's something that we really need to pay attention to that we all have different triggers but especially if you have a history of trauma so that's what we mean by triggers is something that reminds you of the behavior of your trauma mm-hmm. and so when we look at things like you know on a lot of shows it says you know, trigger warning you know for for um like self-injurious behavior eating disorders and because the idea is is that that can bring up those those feelings that sometimes we the trauma we've gone through we kind of lock away those memories so we're able to function day to day. And sometimes when we hear somebody say something or see something, it's the right key to unlock that memory. And then that comes back and it can come back in huge waves and knock you down. So it's really important to be aware of what your triggers are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And to know that when it's happening to be able to do some, some immediate self-care strategies.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, a good, that's a good thing. Um- uh, yeah, as a person who does it myself, I definitely, um, it's helpful to be able to navigate mm-hmm. this. Um, now, you wrote a book, I want to give you a chance to talk about that called mm-hmm. Gaslighting. And um, so tell everybody about what's in the book beyond what you and I just spent an hour talking about that sure. people can get through through reading it and, um, and come away with.
1: Sure, it's, every chapter is devoted to a different aspect of gaslighting. So as I mentioned, there's a whole chapter on gaslighting in the workplace, what your rights are. Uh, what laws back you up, what the process is for reporting those, what the EEOC guidelines are. There's also a chapter about gaslighting in your family, because we can't always completely cut off contact with gaslighters, You know, as you talked about at work <laughs> or in families, or there's a chapter on co-parenting with a gaslighter, because if you have a kid with someone, you can't completely cut them off sometimes either. Uh, so there's also a chapter on, um, on dating and how, what are the red flags to look for, how to identify if you're in a gaslighting relationship. And that could be, again, at work, at home, friendships. Uh, Again, there's also a chapter on uh, friends and neighbors that you may be living next to people that you would not have chosen to live next to you. (laughs) So how do you deal with that when there's some gaslighting behavior going on there? Uh, There's also a chapter on what to do if you think you might be gaslighting. So Again, I think that's something that's not addressed as much is what happens when you realize that the pattern of behavior that you've had in relationships, whether that's at work or at home, is no longer beneficial to you or other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that gets into your know, family of origin, gaslighting and narcissism. There's also a chapter on gaslighting in society. And you know, our previous administration, we had a gaslighter in chief. Uh, so we talk about how uh, gaslighters manipulate people into, um, you know, in order to take control and to create chaos. And we see this on a global scale. Uh, and, uh, and then we circle back to, again, what can you do about this? How do you heal and recover from it? Mm-hmm. If you realize that you've been in a gaslight relationship or you've been working with someone as a gaslighter, what can you do to heal yourself and also change your environment so that it's more conducive to better quality of life? mm mm-hmm. Good stuff.
0: Uh, highly recommend it. I'll have links to the book in the podcast notes for anybody that's listening here so that you'll be able to zip right over to uh, purchase it um, and be able to learn more. I Like I said, I think that you know we um, we do run into it. Um, and I appreciate that you have the chapter also on how to know if you've done it yourself. Because like I had mm-hmm. asked the question, it's not always the malignant narcissist that use it. They use it a mm-hmm. lot. They're very skilled at it. But some of us that, especially if we had a a family dynamic, a family of origin dynamic, where it Mm -hmm. was protection mode, it was kill or be killed kind of mentality, Mm -hmm. you end up sometimes picking up that behavior, which makes me feel hopeful that sometimes when we run into it in the workplace from a coworker or somebody that's in a supervisor position, that they may be one of those people, the ones that kind Mm -hmm. of lean into it uh, and not realize it. And you might be able to um, get that, raise that awareness level to get them to change. However... (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's not our job to change the world, right? <laughs>
1: right. And people are still 100% responsible for their behavior.
0: Totally, totally responsible for it. Um, and uh, and so that's why, you know, for me personally, I like an organizational view of this. Like, you know, can mm-hmm. a company start to look at that differently and to be able to understand whether or not who's doing it and how we can correct it mm-hmm. if possible, and then have a boundary of it's not being corrected and we're going to make a decision, even if it's a hard one, to let good people go, you know, good people air quote around that again, mm-hmm. uh, you know, high performers go because. Right. they are gaslighting everybody around them and that's not mm-hmm. good so um awesome well thank you so much um i Oh you're welcome. This is a thank- great conversation. <laughs>
1: yeah, thanks so much for having me on the podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is cool. Um and i'd like to be able to you know bring you back on there's so many other topics in here to talk about and stuff but um this was fantastic. So i appreciate you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amicuericone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Quirconi, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.